Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation. I'm Senya. Welcome to tonight's show. The first song we played was a new release by Fakie called Take My Hand. And the last song you just heard was by Queen Bee. And that song was Pride. Because guess what? Happy Pride Month, everyone. We've got an awesome collab lined up for you tonight with the Asian Pop Nation or APN team and Loud and Queer. Another one of our amazing shows here on Sin. And we're going to be chatting tonight all about queer representation in Asian media, games, and pop culture. So stay tuned for that. We're going to go into another song, this time by Alien, called Rainbow After the Rain. So keep on listening for some awesome songs from queer Asian artists and allies. But this is Rainbow After the Rain by Alien. This is Asian Pop Nation. You just heard Fum Furut's Strangers in a Dream. The music video features a gay couple. And it was also featured on episode 2 of Gay OK Bangkok season 2. Before that was AC or Aces Higher. And the first song we played in that row was Aliens Rainbow After the Rain. You're tuning in to Asian Pop Nation and Latin Queer special collaboration show for Pride Month. We're going to jump into some discussions straight away now on the topic of queer representation in Asian media. But if you're intrigued, keep on listening here. Welcome to the Loud and Queer and Asian Pop Nation Cola for Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everybody. My name's Elizabeth. My pronouns are she, her. I'm bisexual and I'm coming to you on Bunurong land. And my name's Laura. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm coming to you from Wamba Wamba and Prepa Prepa land. And I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And I'd like to say happy Pride Month. Nice to meet everyone. I'm Senya. <laughs> I'm part of the Asian Pop Nation team. My pronouns are she, her. And I come from Bunurong land. I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. JP, Celeste, Aaron, any of you wanted to introduce yourself? <laughs> you already said my name, but yeah, I'm Celeste. <laughs> I go by she, her. Hey, what's up? I'm JP. I'm also part of Asian Pop Nation. I'm a he, him. And Aaron? Hi, I'm Aaron. I'm also from APN or Asian Pop Nation, and I'm a he, him. And we, the Asian Pop Nation team, come to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to respect the traditional elders past present and emerging and that sovereignty was never ceded what are we talking about today queer gender and sexuality representation in asian media i'm not sure laura elizabeth do you watch or consume much asian pop culture i'm probably not like the most seasoned but i used to be really into a couple of things like yuri anime (laughs) <laughs> and stuff like that <laughs> and like coming out and because that stuff was really innocent and sweet and romantic like I always related to it and thought really cute and there's a lot of kind of discussion about its context and what actually like if it's actually queer if it's more about friendships I always liked it as like a really romantic kind of sapphic story between two people so yeah that's mainly my experience with like queer Asian pop culture I guess yeah how about you Elizabeth (laughs) yeah like a bit similar like I haven't had to like I haven't probably consumed a lot of Asian media and everything like I've watched a few like I mean I've watched a lot of like the big like you know sort of the big really popular animes like my younger sister is really like really loves a lot of anime (laughs) so I kind of get a lot of it through like osmosis I guess yeah I I get the I get a lot of, I, I say cough, but I don't really like, I'm not like coughing and everything. Like I'm happy to listen to her, but like I like to listen to her like either rant or gush about different animes that she's been watching. And she loves a lot of different, like a lot of queer animes. So it's been like, it's fun to 
talk with her about all of that stuff. So, yeah, I've got a little bit, not a lot, though, I will say. Like, I do really want to watch. Is this your queer sister, though? Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) So maybe she's, like, at the same point that I was at, like, a few years ago. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Um, Has anyone else sort of incidentally or purposely kind of consumed any queer Asian media? Ooh, I think the queerest anime I've really ever watched was this one called Revolutionary Girl Utena. I'm not sure if mm. anyone here has heard of it. Have you watched it? Not, no. No, I've not watched it, but I, I have heard of it and I've seen like a lot of, I know about it and I know like sort of what it's about. So I can definitely see where you come from with that. Yeah. 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 Very interesting show. I'd recommend all of you to watch it just because like the writing is really good. It's probably one of the most well-written things I've ever watched. But other than that, I think that's the full extent to what I've seen. Can you explain that one a little about? bit? Yeah. What it's about. No, it's okay. Oh, it's God. Gonna... All right. Let me try to remember. It's just been so long. Okay. So you have this girl. She's kind of... Her name is Utana. And when she was younger, both her parents died. And it was very sad because she's left by herself. But all of a sudden, this prince came over to comfort her. And he told her, I'm going to give you this ring. And one day, once you've grown up and you become strong, come and find me. Right. And typically you'd think maybe she'd want to grow up to be a princess and marry this prince. Right. But the story takes a turn. And instead of her wanting to be a princess, she wanted to become a prince herself because she was so inspired by this prince. And she wanted to spend her life like saving people. So that's pretty much um, the main character and her story. And that kind of thread, it's weaved throughout the whole plot yeah interesting story interesting story yeah Yeah. so a bit of a twist on gender i guess kind of yeah i'd say it even Mm. um it kind of goes beyond gender it's more like here are your categories or here are here are your labels break out of them that kind of thing like it disregards that sort of thing so yeah Hmm, watch nice. it <laughs> yeah no that sounds really cool so is that kind of like she's trying to become more of a boy or like what does that kind of entail there isn't really much of her becoming a boy but there is a mm. lot of that sort of thing for example oh my god there's a second half that i should have told you about she goes to the school <laughs> she goes to no the school. spoilers there yeah, yeah it's um is it's it a, a spoiler no, it's not a spoiler. But I do know in the school, a lot like other schools as well, especially very formal ones, there's like a male and a female uniform. And most people, mm. they inherit that sort of thing. But since Utana, she really wants to become a prince. She just wears boys uniform just for fun because that's how she feels. And like, despite all of the all the stuff the teachers say about her, like they're telling her, what are you, wear girls clothes. She's like, nah. And she goes and yeah. like... Yeah, plays basketball and is really cool. Yeah, that's her. Cool. So, like, really yeah. gender non-conforming and yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, basically. Like mm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was in, really into this Anna Sucker Kiss, and it was like a slice of life kind of thing. Oh, I've um, heard of it. And it was, mm. it's literally like these. I think they're like freshmen in high school or something. It's a long time since I've seen it, but yeah, they're just like really good friends, and then over like the course of I don't know, like a term or something. So they like get a crush on each other and they like kiss under a desk and it's like very, very sweet and innocent. I haven't seen like even a lot of Yuri. I think it's like so much anime already is kind of gay a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> or like, 
it can, it can <laughs> have a lot so. of homoerotic subtext definitely yeah. Like, oh yeah. yeah lots of it and I think like if you're coming from a like a western point of view then you you know you might see the like feminine portrayal of men and like if you haven't sort of thought more about gender you would like kind of be like oh are they gay like or you know if you haven't sort of broken that down I wonder if people would see it as more gay or if it's just because I'm gay that I think it's gay <laughs> but like yeah it's it's kind of in and I think someone else wrote a little bit about that the idea of I guess femininity in different Asian cultures you just heard Moratorium by Omoi Notake from the boys love anime film The Clouds Gather. Before that was Secreto by Yeezy, their latest release. And the first song we played was Spare Tire by Arcord featuring E2 Kalavainen, which features a music video with two women in a relationship. And happy Pride Month, everyone. You're listening to the Asian Pop Nation and Latin Queer special collaboration. We're just in the middle of a discussion about queer representation in Asian media. So let's continue our discussions, shall we? Do you find that the sort of queer subtext is stronger in Asian media than in Western or around the same, depending on how Elizabeth, because you study media, right? Yeah. um, Yeah, I was looking into it and everything like one big thing that can kind of bog down a lot of Western media definitely is that Western media is really obsessed with like being really subtle with a lot of their like metaphors and everything like really hiding under a lot of stuff which can create a lot of like plausible deniability is I think Mm. is the best way of describing it so people can Mm. look at something and be like oh no they just have like a special connection or like it's really like oh yeah this couple kiss but they're really in the background and it's not really noticeable like it's a lot of the time they'll be claimed to be groundbreaking but it's not really like not just animes but some like media has gotten better with portraying like queer relationships and queer characters although it still gets bogged down by a lot of that like a lot of like big characters like you rarely see strong queer characters like in the spotlight they're mainly like Marty regulate the side characters like not all western media that can be a bit broad because some media is better at it than others and like obviously not all characters have to be defined by their sexuality or their gender or anything like that but I do think a lot of like Asian media is a lot better at being a bit more overt with it. Like I was looking at like some examples a bit earlier, like one K drama that was really popular, especially this year was, was called where your eyes linger. And I was looking into it and I found a scene from it where one of the characters directly says to the other character, like, I like you, I want to be with you. And well, it's obviously a complicated love relationship and everything, but when I saw it, my first thought was, wow, I have not seen this in any Western media I've consumed in, like, ages. Mm. So, yeah, I would say I think, like, that kind of bluntness is nice to, like, hear about as well because you'll either get, like, lesbian films in like from Hollywood that are like literally just like lingering stares for like two hours between women or like they're really aggressive like Brokeback Mountain thing where I mean I love that movie but like the men will just like aggressively make out and then leave that together and it's like oh like communication wow that's good (laughs) (laughs) yeah like Obviously, and we it's, that's mentioned in a lot of the notes as well and everything, like not all like 
Asian media. I think I think a lot of like K dramas are a lot better at that, and as well as like Japanese media as well. I think Chinese media is still struggling a lot, obviously due to a lot of the censorship that's going on in the country. But like, it's getting through. It's getting through. It's just like mm-hmm. obviously, I think it's just no. It can't be as overt as like some of the other countries around. But like at that point, like when you're with a censorship like that it's like it's one of those moments where I can be happy like yeah no baby steps I'm I'm liking where we are going so far like if I hear the word baby steps in western media I'll just be like no not good enough but I hear it in Chinese media I'm kind of like yes good we're getting there. Is anyone like super into k-dramas that has seen stuff like this before? Celeste you're into k-dramas and stuff right? <laughs> yeah but tell us I've only really watched, like I mentioned last week to Xenia, I watched, was it Move to Heaven? And they had a mm. little like subplot about a gay couple, which I thought was super sweet. But like, yeah, if you have the chance to watch it, totally do. It'll make you cry. Um, <laughs> do they have a like, happy ending though? That's like the thing the gays mm, want the most that we never get. No, it doesn't. The entire, <laughs> yeah, the entire K-drama oh, no. from what Celeste said was just like, it's all depressing. <laughs> God, we can never escape the barrier gaze trope. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. tough. I guess I've seen movies with gay plots in there, such as Wish You about musicians and they just fall in love. It's a really slow movie, but like, it's all right, mm. I guess. But yeah, I haven't seen as many out there because it's just not easily accessible to me because I mostly go through like Netflix and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, you just reminded me. I was actually watching a movie, Ride or Die. Has anyone heard of that? It sounds familiar. Yeah, same. Yeah, it's about these women who, like, one of them escapes oh. an abusive husband. Oh, yeah, that by has getting the other up. one to, like, yes, seduce him and kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen it. <laughs> when they, like, run off together. Yeah. It's good. I actually haven't finished it yet, so I can't tell you if it has a happy ending or not. But they really, like, made a whole amazing, like, new version of Thelma and Louise where they, like, even more agency, which is cool. Um, I just looked it up to make sure I got it right. It's Japanese. And, yeah, it's on Netflix, so I would totally recommend that to people. And the other one I'd say is The Handmaiden. I think that's a Korean one. I don't know if anyone's seen that. But it's, like, it's lesbians and it's kind of... A horror? No, it's not a horror. It's like a thriller. Yeah, and it's probably one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> Is it like um, a thriller about the lesbian couple, or are they the ones causing the thrills? Or <laughs> yeah, Celeste, have you seen it? I haven't, but a friend of mine has seen it, and she says it's really good. It's just like I can't find the yeah. proper place to watch it, <laughs> which is why I'm All saying right. it. Yeah. Yeah, it was on Netflix. It might have been removed. It, like, has two really huge plot twists, and I Ooh. always wish that I could, like, go back and unwatch it. But, yeah, it yeah, has some amazing moments, I guess. Like, I don't know how to explain it without everything. One of the women gets hired to help the other one. She's, like, one of them's really rich, but turns out that she's in this, like, horrible family situation and they kind of try and find a way out of it together but i won't oh okay yeah (laughs) 
That was Love and You by Venna Bourne. Before that was Benefits by Vondi. And the first song we played was Queen by G Flip featuring MXM Toon. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation and Loud and Queer Special Collaboration Show. We're actually reaching the end of our discussion on queer representation in Asian media. So keep on listening to hear how our discussion wraps up. I think there was actually a question that I wanted to sort of ask. I was recently reading this article about boy love dramas in China and mm. how a lot of Chinese dramas have been ad- adapting boys love web novels. But since, like you said, Elizabeth China has quite heavy LGBTQI related censorship, there's actually a few ways that they go about it. I guess baby steps is a lot of those longing stares kind of flirting through love poems. But a lot of the audience are actually mostly straight women and I was wondering if that causes problems like Elizabeth Laura what do you think because I believe there was a professor who studies these Chinese web novels saying that it kind of provides this homonormative portrayal like what heterosexual people would perceive being gay is like is that an issue that you sort of see or is it like any representation of these different stories is good representation yeah I know what you mean I was looking at this as well and everything sort of that whole thing like I think it's a bit of a mixed bag because some obviously depending on what you adapt definitely a lot of like boy love media especially is seems to be consumed mostly by straight women like (laughs) and from what I saw it is mainly marketed towards straight women I think that like bringing in more representation is always a good thing, like try and make it more normalised in media in general. But it is a problem when like all these certain tropes do come up in in, like this kind of boy love genre that could lead to this kind of assumption of, oh, you do this, therefore you must be gay. It's like, Mm. yeah, because obviously with that it sort of creates, and I, I noticed it with, a lot of like different like especially in like, lots of anime is like a lot of queer characters often queer men especially but it will like they'll be portrayed as like soft sweet inherently more feminine presenting and a pretty toxic if you like depending on how you look at it, that can be seen as a really toxic view because like not every man or no one that presents as a feminine way is inherently gay or inherently queer like it's it can be out of just simply a preference of style or just simply just how you look. It's not like a, a definitive way of saying like, bam, you're gay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a rule book. Yeah. So it's. I guess yeah. like feminine masculinity is kind of attractive for a lot of women though, right? Like as well. And I guess that could also just be that people are attractive, but. I don't know. I'm sort of like my mind's drifting to like the K-pop thing and like a lot of those guys have very soft features, right? I don't know. Does anyone else have thoughts on this? I'm sort of like it's good, but yeah, if it's for a gay that's not for the people that are marginalised, then I guess it can be problematic. But then also having some representation available to you that's like within your culture might be better. Mm. but I'm not sure what anyone else thinks about that yeah I definitely like to be able to relate to people that I see in media so I guess that's where I'm coming from Mm. yeah I think you've touched an interesting point Laura about how there seems to be changing views of masculinity that seem to be I guess something that a lot of straight women might be looking for and they're sort of seeing that in these boys love stories 
it really depends, I guess, on how you take it and how you sort of interpret these stories as either being like this overarching guide of, okay, if you're gay, you must be like this, or, okay, this is one way to tell the story in this particular mm. context. Perhaps there's other ways and other stories that differ from each other, different people, different personalities and characters finding love in their own way. Yeah, but I can't say I've read too many, but I know a few friends of mine who do enjoy boys' love, but I haven't really investigated as to what it is that they like about it. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder why I was drawn more to you and to Yao, even though, like, I might like both storylines. Maybe it's just that if it is aimed at straight women, it's not aimed at me, right? So, mm. but, yeah, I mean, I'm not a lesbian either, so, like, <laughs> Yuri can be complicated, but I guess it's more, maybe it comes back to, yeah, what you can relate to. I'm not really sure. Mm. One. One thing I think that was really interesting I noticed when it came to like looking into like even like the, the definitive terms like Yaoi and Yuri and everything is that like and you mentioned a bit earlier when you were talking about like when you watched a lot of those that content Laura that like it wasn't always very like explicitly romantic like, it might just be about a very strong friendship or something like that like mm. it I noticed when it came to like looking at the definitions for it Yaoi is referred to being as explicitly like homoerotic or homoromantic, while mm. Yuri is much broader. It doesn't explicitly target like a, a female audience or anything. Like it's very, it's much broader in its audience and everything, which I thought was a very interesting thing, thing to note. I think like mm. obviously mm. like Yuri just seems a bit more broader in like the term and the context it can refer to than Yaoi, which I think is odd but interesting. Uh, yeah, and maybe it's. The way that those genders expected to act when they're being like romantically or sexually attracted to someone else. Mm. I did have a question that this might be more directed to like someone like JP or Aaron. If I guess Yaoi seems to be more appealing to straight women, is it vice versa with Yuri and straight men? Or is it any idea about what the community sort of says about those sort of things? I think my suspicion is, yeah, guys are also attracted to Yuri, but more the R-rated kind. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, not, yeah. not so much in the realm of like, you know, actual literature or actual storytelling as we have here in Yaoi. That's what I found. Aaron, do you have any thoughts? I basically agree with most of the things, except for the, well, the mature stuff you mentioned earlier. <laughs> but other than that, I think that like, I think with the guys as well, they, they're also intrigued to, like, the same genders. Like, they can agree on the thing you mentioned earlier, like, the, they can be attracted to the same genre and all that stuff with the same gender. But at the same time, they also can have mixed as well with other uh, relationships as well with the stories line as well. They can basically, they basically can be attracted to do, uh, two different styles of storyline between those two genres, really. Basically, I think it all depends on the person, really. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess what it all comes down to. Uh, but Yaoi as a market is definitely like massive. Like it's everywhere. I swear to God. I'm a webcomic artist. So I troll around on a lot of webcomic websites. So Webtoon. Do you guys know what Webtoon is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of, a lot of um, Korean, Asian types of stories. Mm. A lot of the most popular stories, especially among women, is boys love. 
And even on Tapas, a website, that's where I usually drawing and uploading that sort of thing. They actually have a separate category for boys love or girls love because they found that the genre was so popular that they're like, hey, we might as well just make this category. People can find it easier that yeah. way. But yeah, not much in terms of homoeroticism regarding Yuri and stuff, which is a, it's a shame. That's a bit of a shame. Yeah. That was our question about queer Asian media and the representation in that. And if you want to hear more from Loud and Queer, you can visit us on Twitter and Instagram at SinLoud. And if you want to follow more of our Asian Pop Nation content, we are also on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Asian Pop Nation. That was We Are All Different Yet The Same by Taiwanese gay icon Jolin Tsai. Before that was Poison by Pink Fantasy. And the first song we played was Non-Sweet's Time Slip, a request from one of our listeners, Matthew. Now we're going to go into a discussion about queer representation in Asian games or games about Asian characters. So let's hit off the discussion, shall we? Welcome back to the Loud and Queer and Asian Pop Nation Pride Month collab. I'm Laura, one of your hosts, and we're talking about Asian games with queer themes. And JP, I think you were telling us a very interesting story about one of them. Okay, I wrote down on the list this game called Near Replicant. Do people here know about it? Yes. I know the second game, but not the first one. Not Maybe it's something one. you mentioned to me once that I think I remember. Probably, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got original Automata Replicant and then unknown version for mobile oh i've hmm. i know near is it near no maybe, near automata mind. yeah that's automata. yeah automata. Uh, that's the one with the the girl with the blindfold and like she's really hot and everyone keeps, oh her butt's so big you know yeah 9s2v that sort of thing yeah i put down near replicant because i've been playing it recently really good game i also thought it was interesting because it's very subtle in terms of its queer content like i think the thing about Japan and Japanese games is that they're still quite conservative. So even though you have um, yaoi, all that sort of thing, there are also quite a few places where they're still quite binary in terms of their norms. For example, we had Persona 5. You guys know Persona? The Persona <laughs> games? Yeah. Yeah, Persona, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Really good. Really good game series. And um, in that game very strange mix between rpg and dating sim and whatever um but a lot of the time you're playing as this main character i think we've never really had any female main characters that'd be nice to see but all of them were male characters and depending on how you interact with different side characters you could actually get to date with them so you could date with them uh you know get into a relationship you could date two people and then get in trouble at some (laughs) point like you can't do that it's really funny but Despite that, you actually can't date any other guys, at least as far as I know, quite conservative in that regard. But Near Replicant, I thought, was a very interesting, very odd game. Do you guys know what Near Replicant is about? No. I do. Yeah. You do? Aaron, tell us. What is it? <laughs> it's basically just a remastered version of the original Nier that came out back in 2009. But basically, Nier, basically, Battle of Games set in around the year 2049, or in Replicant's case, 2053, and it's not so. Basically, humanity is basically sort of like a break of extinction, and basically, human, especially the whole world is basically controlled by mechanical and stuff, especially with a lot of machinery and especially a lot of animal creatures and all that stuff. And basically, focuses on the main protagonist, Nia, as he finds a way to cure his sister, and it's basically travel all over the world, something like that. Yeah. Wait, did he mention the whole time skip thing? 
Yeah, you get that one, and the five-year time skip that happens around in the, in, in the fourth playthrough, not the fifth playthrough, whatever you're talking about, which version you got. Yeah, it's a confusing game. Trust me. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty but crazy. It's worth, but yeah. it's worth playing. Mm, but in the Jiffy, basically, big apocalypse happens. thousand years later, the entirety of humanity has reversed to medieval life. So no electricity, no nothing. Everyone's mm-hmm. got swords. And also, there are these monsters called Shades running around. They're like shadow-looking creatures. They eat and kill people. Pretty uh, scary stuff. It's a big adventure game. It doesn't sound very queer, does it? <laughs> yeah. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But the reason I brought up Near Replicant is because of two important characters in the story. One of them is named Kaine. So the whole point around Kaine is that she's this really rebellious... How would you describe Kaine, Aaron? I think she's more like an intersex, really. I think those are probably the best. Way Don't to... spoil it! Oh my god, Aaron! Wait, this spoil. Okay, but anyway, Kaine. She's a she's a very coarse character. Like she swears a lot. She's a uh, very rough with people. I think if you play it with the Japanese dubs and you listen to her dialogue, she gets bleeped out a lot. Like, they have censorship <laughs> laws in Japan, but yeah, swears a lot. It's almost like she's Australian or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the whole deal around her is that I think one of her arms is actually possessed by one of the shades I told you about. You know, scary shadow monsters. And basically, the village that she was supposed to live in kicked her out. So they kind of demonized her. Because, you know, she's dangerous. Oh. For, like, half the entire story, that's kind of what you think of her. Like, she got kicked out of the village because of the arm. But as soon as you go further in and read up on the documentation about her backstory, turns out it actually wasn't because of the shadow. She was actually kicked out of the village because she was intersex. So, you know, she had a penis and she got ostracized for a lot of that in her village. And that's one interesting character. And I think the other interesting character, his name is Emil. So he's like a magician. He turns into a skeleton at some point in the game. I'm not going to tell you why. Play it yourself. It's really good. Again, not very overt in terms of its presentation, but he is actually gay. He's gay for the main character. There are Like, if you look at the dialogue really carefully, and if you listen to the tone really carefully, there are quite a lot of hints that he really likes the main character. Like, it starts off as as admiration, because he is a bit younger than the main character, and then over time, it kind of develops. The reason I brought it up, um, other than the fact that I've been playing it, is because it's it's very subtle. It's not very overt in terms of its presentation. They end up together? No, basically everyone dies. So there's no oh. point. Spoiler! <laughs> even the straight people die. Yeah, even the straight Everyone. Equal opportunity eradication. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's no, that's really cool because, yeah, mm. we definitely don't get enough intersex representation in anything, I would mm-hmm. say, except maybe Greek mythology. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm not intersex, so I can't exactly talk on it but i feel like it would probably be good to see like a romantic plan for intersex people too because i guess if you're intersex you might like i've heard a lot of activists say that they're kind of like viewed as not really being able to like function that way mm-hmm. quote unquote like yeah so or not being like sexual people so yeah, it's pretty cool yeah oh uh, good that you pointed that out because i'm kind of she likes the main character too Basically, everyone, everyone wants to bang the main character. 
in that story once you <laughs> read the subtext. Oh, well. Yeah. Thanks. That's how it is. But Celeste, you put down Fire Emblem. Yeah, look, I haven't played it, but I've been told that you can romance any character in there. So <gasps> Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And it reminds me of, like, The Sims. When you play, you can just romance any character. Oh, my God. <laughs> Start your own family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, Zenia, you've put down something called Butterfly Soup. Could you tell us more? Yeah, so this one is a bit similar. It's like a visual novel. So you get to sort of choose your story. But I think this one is has got, like, a predetermined... Uh, ending you just kind of use the options that you're given to get to know the characters a bit more but it is a queer story it's like between four queer asian american teen girls in their first year of high school so it's a nice romance story and you sort of i think play as one of the girls and the love story sort of revolves around you and this girl called minsil and yeah i haven't played it but i did hear about it as being a good sort of Asian queer story that you can play over a weekend. So (laughs) if anyone's got a free weekend and wants to play a new game, that's one that you could potentially play as well. But yeah. Was System by Jackie. Before that was War by Iri. And the first song we played was Focus on Me by Marshall. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation and Loud and Queer Special Pride Month collaboration show. We're in the middle of a discussion at the moment about queer representation in games. So stick around to hear the tail end of this discussion. Was there any other stories that people knew or any games? I've said it before on Loud and Queer as well, but... (laughs) just that I used to be like really obsessed with like Link's androgynous games from Legend of Zelda oh yeah yeah and like that was the first like kind of time as a young kid I saw someone that's like a gender that I understand you know like that's kind of a funny thing to look back on because I'm not even much so yeah Elizabeth I know you play quite a few games I do, unfortunately. <laughs> I do, but unfortunately, not a lot of them are like are Asian and everything. Like it varies. Like I think, like a lot of like games that I've played, where like the options obviously are with gay relationships and everything. A lot of them are like you have to actively go seek them out. Mm. Yeah. So it's less like this. Like you might have a predetermined a character that you end up with. But you have options like to meet and romance other characters along the way and stuff like that. But if you want to be looking for those characters where it's like, oh, I want to romance this character. You have to really, like, obviously if you want to romance someone, you have to put in the work for it. But, like, for a lot of games, it can be a case of, like, if you want to, like, there might be just, like, one option for a clear relationship and you have to actively go seek that one out if you want to get that representation. But, again, like, that is, that's a bit more generalised to Western media because, again, I haven't played a lot of, like, Asian media games. And I think that, I, I like the look of this uh, visual novel, i got to say. I've got to give that a try. Like, it's, um, mm. but, like, it varies a lot with certain games and everything. Like, I think that, it, obviously, it depends on the region and stuff. Certain regions are much more open with, like, putting this kind of content in games compared to other regions. That's just how it is. It's a bit of a challenge finding both Asian and queer games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's the same as we uh, discussed earlier with um, Yaoi and the boys' love and stuff. Yeah. If you want Yaoi visual novels, they exist. 
they're yeah. out there. Yeah, you gotta go. In terms of its actual assimilation into more mainstream games, it's not so much there. The only other example I can think of is the sequel to Near Replicant, Near Automata. Aaron, have you played that? Yeah, and I accidentally deleted the save file as soon as I got to ending E by accident. Good. <laughs> no. That's the good ending. Yeah, I know it's a good ending. I wasn't happy by it. No, I haven't done you, that yet. That's a noble sacrifice. Wonder. Yeah. Okay. Um near <laughs> It's not a spoiler. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> near Automata is um interesting game. You know, in the words of the developer, Yoko Taro, the guy who made it, the people who play his games aren't normal. Like they're very strange people. Like that's that's what he thinks, and I agree. If you're gonna be into near automata, you'll you'll play it anyway. I don't have to say anything to you. But I do remember playing through near automata that there were quite a few subtle. I guess not subtle, because you know when I when you say subtle, you think of like oh you know buried under all mm. the layers, right, and hidden and sort of thing. I thought with near automata, it was quite it was well integrated. There were a lot of interesting, well integrated elements in terms of queerness and homosexuality. For example, I mm. uh, should probably start with the synopsis. Near Automata, all the humans are dead. Uh, oh. But you, yes, all the humans are... Actually, wait, is that a spoiler? Oh, that that's is a spoiler. Yes, that's <laughs> <laughs> we are not doing well, guys. Oh, okay. Um, so let's, at the very beginning of this, like, in the editing, just add like, just so people are aware, this contains a lot of spoilers for the new <laughs> Spoilers for everything, but it'll be good anyway. Just play it, please. But anyway, let's pretend I didn't say that. Near Automata, all the humans are on the moon. Trust but me. But they all died. No, they didn't. They're on the moon. Okay. Trust me. Okay. Yes, they're on the moon. Apparently. Yes, they're on the moon. So, <laughs> so a bunch of aliens invaded Earth, and all the humans are like, oh man, this is bad. So they escaped to the moon. And so the aliens have taken over Earth and the humans are like, we got to take back Earth from the moon. So they start building sexy androids and they send them off into Earth to retake their planet. But it turns out the aliens have also made their own robots. So now it's like a robot versus robot war. There's like a proxy war going on there. So you play as the sexy robot 2B and her trusty sidekick, this no. cute boy named 9S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and both of you go on great adventures together, trying to retake Earth and also being sad a lot of the time. That's what happens in the game. <laughs> but very interestingly, I remember this one instance when you play as 2B, sexy, battling android girl. You're running around the city and you get a call from your operator. Every battle robot, they have an operator up in space, you know, telling them intel or whatever. You know, they're like on the screen. They pop up on the screen. They go, your mission is blah, blah, blah. Right. But uh, 2B's operator, she's a bit of an airhead. So one day you're doing your mission and she pops up on the screen and she's crying and 2B is like, hey, what's going on? And she's like... <laughs> I, I tried to ask another commander, and they're all girls, by the way. They're all girls up there. Yeah. I tried to ask out a commander, and she rejected me. And she's crying and stuff. And you're, like, busy trying not to die. And you're like, man. <laughs> when it comes to seeing more queer content in games, that's what I want to see more of. Like, it's just there. That sort of thing. I don't know. That's my hope. Like it's a it's part okay. of their lives. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a part of it. Yeah, on the like, oh, here's them coming out, and here's them yeah, yeah. like being really, really like being super um, gay, yeah, having oh, to struggle. Yeah, like yeah, it's like nice to see them obviously, but not like 
Mm. They're kind of like, there's just this one story they tell repeatedly about gay people. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's nice to see like other stories. Yeah, because I think my big my big fear is that there's a lot of fetishization around like mm. the whole homosexual story thing. Especially you see this a lot with boys love and such. Like, yeah, it's not really for gay people. It's just for girls that really like hot guys. And like, I don't blame them. Do whatever <laughs> you want. But in terms of actually integrating queer content. Just a uh, just copy near copy near automata. It's a good game. I want more of it. And this also, do you know if there were like queer people who like were on the team that made it? Or I don't actually know. Especially yeah. when it comes to Japanese developers, they don't like to talk about themselves too much. Um, mm. But yeah, I I imagine there would have been. If it feels authentic, it probably was made by people who. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, you're gonna say something? Yeah, no, I was just agreeing with you with that because like I distinctly. Doesn't like the the game developer of the Nier games like don't they have like just like a a single mask they wear all the time like you've never yes. seen their face? Yes. Like- is that the musician? No. The- no, his name is Yoko Taro. He does quite a few interviews. Like actually, actually, that was a complete lie. He doesn't do many interviews, really. <laughs> but whenever he does do an interview, he always comes out with this big circle helmet with this creepy like smile Emil's on helmet. it. Yeah, his, his name is Emil. Imagine the moon if it had a creepy face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. looking at it now. My yeah, are you looking? Yeah, he's an absolute madman. I swear to God. Genius of a madman. That's it. Yeah, he's a genius. Uh, that's how he is. It's yeah. It's no, he, he had a very good reason for this. He specifically said, like, imagine you're a big fan of this really nice erotic novel, right? It's really steamy and really passionate, right? But then you go to like some book signing event with the author and it's this creepy looking old guy so that's why he's like i put this mask on because i don't want my players to be disappointed you know he thought that mask was a better alternative yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Better> than nothing <laughs> yeah. i don't know i feel like if i went to a book signing and i saw the author wearing just that yeah. i'd just be like no <laughs> Uh, it wouldn't be disappointment, more so just a bit of like, what? Just a shock, yeah. Mm. That was no, a good that's shock. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Man, but where, where'd this lead to? Yeah, Nier Automata, play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more queer stories in video games. That was The World Is Not Lonely by Lee Taeyun. Before that was New York City by AMPM. And the first song we played was a song by a trans woman pop group from Thailand called Visa for Love by Venus Flytrap. This is Asian Pop Nation and Latin Queer special collaboration for Pride Month. So we're going to talk a little bit about how Asian celebrities have been challenging our notions of gender. So keep it here on Synth. Now let's go into a little bit of a discussion. We sort of touched on this earlier about Asian celebrities kind of pushing the boundaries of gender, being sort of consumers of both the West and Asian cultural products and pop culture. Uh, You can sort of see a bit of a difference in the way that traditional masculinity is portrayed in both contexts, but I wanted to sort of see how familiar everyone kind of was with particular K-pop stars. I guess if anyone had any Asian celebrities that they admired who are pushing certain boundaries, anyone wanted to kind of share? I'm not sure who put, is it Abu-chan? Who put that in? Oh, that was actually me. I'm very curious about that. Do you know Abu-chan? No. 
Abishan is from this band called Jobachi or Queen Bee. They've、mm-hmm. done quite a lot of anime openings. Abishan is very, very public about sort of her identifying as kind of gender neutral, both sort of male and female, and also about being of half Japanese. And African American descent, which can be quite taboo discussion in Japan as well. So you know, they're quite trailblazer in the Japanese music industry. So their music mainly is around like fashion punk or sort of a mix of like punk and rock. But yeah,、mm. I definitely recommend everyone to just check Queen Bee out. I'm just looking at it now. It looks fantastic. So I guess Avachan's one of the artists that has piqued my interest. But I guess like when we talk about Um, masculinity in Asia. There's some things that you sort of notice as different in Asia than I suppose in the West, because we're sort of seeing like a rise in a lot of interest in K drama and K pop. And I guess their views of masculinity is a bit different here. But Laura, Elizabeth, are you sort of familiar with those kinds of differences? A little bit. Like, I think. I guess, especially in Australia, you can really contrast it with like the super macho white cishet men who just don't <laughs> don't <laughs> want to appear any kind of feminine. So it can be quite, I guess. And yeah, I I'm a little familiar, I guess, with more boyish look of K-pop stars, if that's like the right way to describe it. And like they've got. Sort of pixie cut hair a lot. I always、yeah. see, <laughs> and like a lot of the marketing I think behind them is like that they're really boyish and like you know besties with their bandmates and that kind of thing. So、mm-hmm. that's like what I'm familiar with. But yeah, I don't particularly follow any bands.、But、no, I definitely appreciate the style they've got going. Sort of challenges, I guess, what we typically see. But Elizabeth, how about you? I do think there is like definitely a difference in like what like it's interpreted being like typically masculine between like Western and I guess Eastern media and everything. Like it's very like what the traditional things that are considered masculine here, like in Western media, is a bit different to how it is traditionally in in a lot of Asian media. I guess it's so with a lot of like traditional like the sort of Western masculine look is kind of like really sharp angular features. I guess like it's hard. I'm trying to think about how it's like it's sort of like you have to be like you take up space in the West if you're a man. You like really.、Mm. An ancient、like、Greek big, god or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like very brawny. You got to be really strong dudes who is yeah who have no feeling. <laughs> 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 But yeah, I'd love to hear from us how like Western ideas about masculinity are more homogenous than like across the whole of Asia. But yeah, what do you think that that kind of masculinity is? I guess if we're talking about like K-pop stars. I know a few Asian artists who are male, but they tend to do a lot of skincare and wear makeup,、mm-hmm. just、cool. in public, not necessarily on on stage. But Celeste, you, you, since you follow more K-pop, are you aware of many kind of K-pop artists who sort of challenge gender norms? Well, I think it's just the normal thing within Korea to just put more care into how they look because it's a big thing in Korea where you have to present yourself in a specific way, and like that's why perfection is such a big thing. Or you hear like 
new headlines that go the dark side of k-pop but then go oh here's plastic surgery and stuff but it's like they just care more about how they look like there's a more of an acceptance among i guess like the cis males where they're more okay with wearing makeup and stuff which i think people should be more open to regardless of what jenny you are yeah because mm. makeup is great <laughs> i don't know because i see like drag stuff and i'm like we need more of that just out on the streets please <laughs> yeah it's true. yeah and i guess like is that embraced with like korean people every day or is that k-pop trend well for more like more heavier makeup stuff mostly in k-pop but like the general public would just mm-hmm. have like bb cream to just like smooth out their face and it's just like make themselves look a little bit more neater whereas you yeah. walk out in an Australian neighbourhood and people are, like, in trackies. Like, it's not a bad thing, but <laughs> it's just, like, you walk out in your pyjamas and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. can be good to see people look after themselves and not, like, worry about that it's going to make them emasculated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're listening to Loud and Queer and Asian Pop Nation special Pride Month collaboration. The first one we played was by bisexual and pansexual artist Rina Sawayama. And her song Lucid after that was Fix Me by Jake Cyrus, who is a trans male artist from the Philippines. And the last song we played was Michio Ho's Run. Michio is a Chinese LGBTQIA plus ally. You've caught us in the middle of our discussion about how Asian celebrities have been changing the game on some of our traditional perceptions of gender here in the West. So let's finish off the discussion here, shall we? I was just gonna say it's also a common trope sometimes in Asian pop culture and media where a male character is often misidentified as a female JP Aaron can you can you vouch for this um yeah I think in a lot of Asian media they're a lot more willing to depict their males as more androgynous looking Mm. that's what I found and that's across anime, manga, their video games, their live action movies. That's my observation. Like I was recently um, reading Fruits Basket. Oh, yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good, man. I can't believe how soft it is. I'm, I'm used to reading like really depressing stories, but like this, it's so soft. Like, oh my God. Just wait till you get later on. But anyway, this yeah, is yeah. good for another day. <laughs> but I did have that issue as well there were times where i'd look at a character and i go is that a guy because like yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to tell like they'd have long hair they'd have beautiful eyelashes and stuff and like they speak so gracefully i'm like whoa uh the monkey yeah. in particular oh well mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, but, I, but yeah mm. that seems to be a lot more common in asian media i found mm. but you know why that is why oh uh, um... do you know me no okay <laughs> all right i want to do that was rhetorical because no. no, no, you no. know i think this is probably going to be some pseudo history and stuff but i think especially japan they have a much longer history in terms of like sexual experimentation like if you look down far enough there are quite a lot of examples of homosexual stories in their classical mm. literature pretty interesting stuff yeah there's yeah. a lot of paintings as well it's a lot more open but i think it's it can be like a double-edged sword when it comes to these sort of um, examples of being androgynous in mm-hmm. anime and manga because it often can be like i guess a gag um, <laughs> yeah not definitely. really essential oh, okay. part of the story so yeah so i'm not really sure the significance because 
if whether it's is that like with that the gag i like idea is that like characters in the show so misunderstand their gender or like what yeah that tends to be the the case it's like they assume that they're female then they start kind of courting them and then they realize they're actually biologically male and identify as male but Mm. they just have very like feminine stereotypically feminine behavior so yeah Yeah. so that's that's kind of tends to be the case it seems to be a big like a bit of an annoying trope that appears in a lot of media like that that happens can happen a lot in like western media as well where it's kind of like the joke is that oh are they a guy or are they a girl when it's like particularly with trans women yeah definitely it's it's very it's it's treated as much more of a gag and sort of like yeah like they're treated as the butt of the joke when it's like let's not do that yeah yeah particularly in the 90s and 2000s i mean this is western media i definitely saw a lot of that like being played as a guy like it's in friends it's in like so many mainstream shows and you're just like gosh okay let's move past this please yeah um, but like the worst yeah I, I, I was curious like with the sort of the like feminine k-pop stars is that like it's i mentioned it's like a challenge to like western masculinity but i guess it's not really it doesn't sound like it's as much of a challenge to like korean masculinity or i'm not sure because i've seen like really old k-dramas and i've seen how like people looked before they went into this phase of wanting to look more like beautiful with makeup and stuff so Mm. yeah like back in the day if you look at really old asian dramas they all look like really macho guys Mm. and now it's not a thing that's ideal anymore i guess like because now that we have more k-pop idols we want to see sort of that sort of image on our screens sort of appealing to the masses at that point like sort of looking at what's considered like ideal like in the demographic and then just sort of appealing to that i guess is how it is i think like (laughs) time period that you're in yeah yeah no i reckon yeah they could have been like trying it out and then like realized that people were really well to what you know we see today so I think, like, a while back on Loud and Queer, we actually talked about an anime character who, like, was actually a male character in the Japanese version of Sailor, Sailor Moon. Moon. Oh. And actually, maybe in the sub, they changed it. I can't yeah, remember they, about that. But did. in the dub, they definitely changed it to, like, Queen Beryl rather than, like, King. I can't remember his name. But, yeah, he was actually a man, but because he wore, like, a dress and had long hair. They did, they did it with times. a few characters. They, like, censored their, like, gender or sexuality in Sailor Moon. They, yeah. like, made it westernized. Yeah. And um, The most infamous yeah. of that was when they made, like, two of the main characters in the show, Sailor Neptune and Sailor uh, Uranus, I think. They're in a loving relationship in the Japanese version. And then in the English dub, they made them cousins which makes a lot of their really intimate close scenes really awkward. <laughs> yeah. These Americans are like, it's for kids. We have to make it straight. And these kids are like then watching cousins be like really weirdly close. <laughs> <laughs> the dark side to Sailor Moon. Uh, I didn't yeah. know any of this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, one of the characters, they completely changed their gender just because they look, didn't match the like Western standard or what Americans wanted, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
heard VU Mak Hoi by Huang Jiang featuring T.A.K.'s. Before that was a song by Malaysian queer artist Alex C.B.H. called Nothing's Gonna Hurt You Baby. And the first song we played was Loved You Better by Holland, Korea's first openly gay K-pop idol. And you've reached the end of our special collaboration show. Thanks so much for listening. We really want to thank Elizabeth and Laura for coming on to talk with us and the Asian Pop Nation team. If you wanted to hear any discussions that you missed from tonight's show, you can find us on the Asian Pop Nation podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Asian Pop Nation. We'd also love to hear any comments and messages that you had about the show tonight and any suggestions you have about anything we should discuss on our show in the future. In the meantime, if you're also interested in joining our show, you can also let us know on our social media platforms as well. But thanks so much for listening. We really loved having you around. So on behalf of Aaron, Celeste, John Paul and myself, Senya, we'd like to thank you for listening to our discussion tonight and hopefully you can catch us again at 8pm on Tuesday next week. We're going to leave you with a song by Satsuki called Zoning Out and after that, a song that kind of fits the moment that is Curtain Koru or Curtain Call by Yama. On behalf of the Asian Pop Nation team, this is Senya signing off.